Hi, I'm Priya Aneja. I'm Paul Shrimp. And I'm Jeff Gorgie. And this is Profits Healthcare Transformers podcast, where we'll be talking to leaders in healthcare who are focused on transforming their organizations to drive the next level of growth for their business and for healthcare. Transformation is one of those terms that has a lot of layers to it. Sometimes it's about innovation. Sometimes it's about shifting the way you do business. Sometimes it's about your overall operating model, and sometimes it's to a specific department or function. It's also about people, helping them navigate the discomfort that comes with change, but also motivating them to engage in the journey of transformation from the CEO to the newest employee. It is a journey, and that's why we created this podcast, to break down this multidimensional, dynamic topic of transformation, one story at a time. Are you ready to dive in? Hi, I'm Paul Shrimp, your host for this episode. Today we have Michelle Lockyer, an experienced healthcare professional and strategy leader. Michelle, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, well, to kick things off, uh, you've had quite a career in healthcare. You've had different jobs, different companies, different countries. What drew you to the space and what excites you about the future? Oh, well, I guess that goes back to even just how you describe me. I'm a, I'm a portfolio and strategy leader, which to me, that really means it's all about bringing people together, bringing people together to find their shared purpose, to figure out the different paths to getting to that purpose, their vision that excites them and deciding on it. You know, what are we going to do? What are we not going to do? And then let's execute on it. So for me, that is, that is what I do. That's what excites me. And yeah, I've had a bit of a journey to get myself into that. Yeah, yeah. And can you talk more about kind of the, the early days? I always love to compare and contrast about the world we're living in now. And sometimes we often get frustrated that we're not moving fast enough or we're not making progress. But when you actually stand up and look around, like we, we have made a lot of progress over the last few years, but we'd love to, to hear a little bit of uh, your experiences in, in your early years as we get into more modern days. So earlier, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll just walk you through. How, how do I look at what it is that I've been doing and the experiences I've had? I started out in engineering, engineering, I built buildings. And, you know, that was a part of the journey where it's where I said, you know, it's about bringing people together. And there it was pretty fun. You're bringing together contractors and architects and clients and, and even Mother Nature with her constraints on what you can and cannot do to design a building. And I love that. I love that interaction. I did find, though, that I sought out more complexity or maybe a, a diversity of problem or challenge. And so I had amazing mentors that uh, found me or helped me find my way back to school. And after getting a business degree, ended up at Deloitte Consulting, which you end up with any number of problems as a consultant that you get to tackle. Mm -hmm. So I love that. And you get to travel around the world and play in different industries. Mm -hmm. That was where I was doing everything from, you know, working with pet food manufacturers and telecoms mm -hmm. to biotechs and medical device companies. It was anybody fast growing or Fortune 500 that was wanting to make a major capital investment. Mm -hmm. And that was a time when there was a boom in the biotech space, for sure. And I was there. And I was captivated by the fact that these companies were looking at, yes, what's our purpose? What are some of the options that we have? And how can we execute on them? But they were executing on solutions for people facing just devastating diseases. And that just grabbed me. That just felt like on even a bad day, I will go to work yeah. and it will feel good and meaningful. So I jumped. I jumped ship from the consulting and into one of my clients' hands. That was Genentech. And 
spent a number of years with them, starting out in their operations, their supply chain, when Avastin, Rituxin, and Herceptin were booming. And that was really a complex situation to figure out how are you going to produce all that? And realized so quickly that bulk fill and pack is fascinating. I was, though, really tuning into the medicines. So I ended up in a CMC team lead position. That's chemistry, manufacturing, and controls. Mm-hmm. That introduced me then finally to the whole totality of the development portfolio at Genentech and then Roche. Right. And there was an opportunity in the portfolio group uh, that was just budding. I then spent a number of years really shaping and, and helping to build that that group. And then ultimately I took over the group and I became the global head. And it was at that point that we really wanted to set a strategy, bring all the pieces, mm-hmm. I think, together mm-hmm. and set a clear direction for this whole host of opportunities that we had. They sent me off to Basel. And when I came back, we did have that clarity of direction. And I yet again found myself at a point in my career where I was looking for that next messy problem. And then at the beginning of this year, those things came to a close. And it was where I finally did decide it's time for me to see how can I take all the gifts of what I've learned and apply that more broadly to the healthcare industry. You've gone through some really major chapters of that, of the industry. We weren't using the term transformation way back then, but, but we are now, but we'd love to have you th- look back and think about all the different myths and realities that come with transformation, what you were expecting, what you had to navigate. You've mentioned people a number of times. would love to kind of better understand the levers that you pulled and the things that you learned on a number of different transformation stages that, that you've gone through. Absolutely. Well, I'll go back to actually, Paul, I, where you said it too, where there's so much that has evolved and shifted from the biotechs and the big pharmas and coming in and really in, in setting the direction for the portfolios. Transformation's been key if you're really thinking of it more too from the very first bit of it is what's the purpose? What are you after in making that transformation? If you are not clear on that and what that purpose is, you're just doing a lot of change for change's sake and really disrupting people. And when I think about it from a portfolio, it was amazing the boom that we, we've we had within biotech. And then, yes, uh, you know, Roche came in with uh, Genentech and then we had an enviable portfolio then and it's even more enviable now. However, with that massive growth, you start to lose direction when you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of studies. And then the the organization to really say a common direction starts to get very challenging. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I have actually led uh, efforts where we wanted to refocus and set really a strategy or direction that's clear across the organization, given that wealth of opportunity so that you actually are able to attract more talent and deliver more quickly because you're able to actually push down and, and make decisions across the organization. Key in that really for me too is is really setting the principles is is a term we used a lot. But what it really is, is what does good look like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? You can say we want to, you know, options for devastating diseases. Great, right. But what does good look like and how are you going to get there? And so setting those things up, an example that we had was really patient science and business. You want to create value for patients. You want to create value for science sake. Mm-hmm. And you also, of course, want to create value for the business. You want these businesses to keep going and to thrive. Now, not all options or development studies are going to hit on all three, mm-hmm. but you want to look across all of those and balance your portfolio to know that you're hitting on all three of them as a collective and balancing it as you, you'd like to see. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, in, in, in pockets, I have gotten people to reach out to us and going, I think we're going to embark on a transformation and we want you to help define what that is. 
like it, it should be the other way around, which is what is your purpose? Yeah, yeah. What's your vision? What do you, what, what's the catalyst? And then that guides the transformation. So those are excellent points. As you look back in your career, what are some experiences that, that have shaped your career that, that might not be found on your resume? One really comes to mind. So I, I, not on my resume, I grew up in Sacramento, California, out here in California, in the suburbs. I was one of four children in my family. I was, I was the baby. And my oldest brother was 17 years older than me. So, so quite a broad span among all of us. And so if you, you know, to paint that picture, I'm, I'm going off to first grade, second grade, third grade, and he's out of the house working, you know, going to school and, and living, you know, starting his young adult life really at the same time. But at a certain point, my oldest brother, he actually moved back to the house mm-hmm. and then he lost his job. And um, he, I was young, but I could tell he was struggling, mm-hmm. slept a lot. And that just started to become part of our, our life and our family. And one day, actually, when coming home from school, my neighbor lady, uh, Kathy, she circumvented me as I was heading towards home to say, come hang out at our house, which really wasn't out of the ordinary. Anytime my mom had errands or something, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be home. We'd head over there. But on that day in particular, when my mom came to get me, she had to tell me that my brother, my oldest brother, had actually committed suicide. He had taken his life that day, and it was just an incredibly devastating thing for the family, for any person who's either struggling or, or has someone they love that's, that's struggling like that. Now, at the time, you know, I didn't understand why. I mean, today, I still don't understand why all the things that came together that that, that happened. But I do know it, it stuck with me, and I just know the thing that I can imagine is that he had gotten to a point where he just didn't see any options. There were no more options. And he just wanted to end it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is what sticks with me. Mm-hmm. And it's really shaped me or affected me both in, as you can imagine, because I've already shared with you, I love healthcare yeah. for the fact that it's creating options for people facing devastating diseases that are struggling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's incredibly meaningful. And then I'd also say to anybody who ever works with me, I am an eternal optimist. Mm-hmm. I don't walk through life with rose-colored glasses. Bad things happen. Mistakes are made. I make mistakes. But I will absolutely be the first to call it out. There it is. Mm -hmm. I recognize it. Can I take anything from this? And then where do we go from here? What are the steps? What are the options that we can actually consider? Do we we ignore it and move Mm -hmm. on? Do we fix it? What's the case? But let's just move on. And so I think it's just those poignant moments in your life. They really do shape you. And I think, too... Once you can actually recognize them and know that's sort of the energy behind mm-hmm. you, it makes what you do so much more, I don't know, meaningful or satisfying, even on those really crummy work days. Yeah, that, that's a that's an amazingly powerful story as I think healthcare and the leaders behind healthcare organizations always need to strive to have a high degree of really true empathy for patients yeah. and what people are going through. It's not a disease state. I'm not managing a condition. I'm not faceless. I'm not an observation. I'm not patient volume. But when you think of those life-changing events in your life, they normally intersect healthcare. There's a lot of dimensionality to that. And it's more than just a condition or a person or an observation because it's, it's, it can be very powerful. That resonates. I was um, uh, lucky enough to join a group of people that were really looking at, you know, going beyond the medicine. And one thing that they emphasized in, in speaking with patient groups, the ones that they had spoken to is, 
even the referring broadly patient Mm -hmm. disconnects a bit Mm -hmm. with the fact that these are people, people with lives. The disease doesn't define them. They have families and spouses and children and running to soccer games and stuff. So they're people. Mm -hmm. And I think it actually even is a neat way to describe where the industry is going. If you think about health tech Mm -hmm. and I find myself still clearly I, at that poignant moment when somebody perhaps is a facing a real struggle and finding those options. I'm captivated by that. I'm also captivated, though, by the opportunities for people just in general to live healthier lives. Yeah. Maybe never have to hit that moment of getting a devastating diagnosis because things early on were recognized and addressed early. So I think it is an interesting yeah. way to think about the whole person and even how the industry is going. Yeah, I don't like going into the two stratospherical topics and trends. And I'm glad that we're making, you know, progress towards behavioral health aspects, social determinants of health, because the story that always hits me is just a a simple gentleman at a focus group for diabetes care. It was with a health insurance company. And they're talking about how we can help diabetics. And the moderator is like, oh, have you been getting the, the monthly mailers? And the gentleman goes, yes, I open them. It says lose weight fat. So when I throw it in the garbage and you send me another one every month. And you could see in his face where the guy was just tired of being told he's fat, tired of being told he's lazy, tired of being told he needs to exercise more. And like that just is to me that the wrong side of healthcare that I think we're beginning to shed is people with diabetes or whatever condition isn't because they're stupid, lazy and ignoring the problem. There's other things that are contributing to the situation they're in and they went out as much as anybody else, but it's not an education, empathetic list type of engagement that they're looking for. Well, and I think it's also knowing that person better is what I see people trying to do now more than ever, maybe. And with, you know, all the the wealth of tools and abilities you do through technology or digital and so on, you can maybe even do that better or more. So when I mentioned I was a CMC team leader, it was for nootropin. This was a growth hormone. And a large number of the our customers, our patients, were kids. And it was such a learning to really understand so much about it, this is so much about the aspects of how to have a child who is taking growth hormone, whether from a caretaker who doesn't want to be switching because this is your child, you don't want to change the drug that you've been giving your child, or from the child's perspective, who had to carry around a big cooler if they were going anywhere. And that's pretty embarrassing mm-hmm. for anybody who's got a child in the teen years, (laughs) that's not attractive. Or even just for the the ability to take that shot and companies that really took the attention to how can you make that device more attractive to a child? Can you put, you know, animated characters or things on that? But to really think about a person Mm -hmm. who's having to manage that disease and or in the treating of that disease to understand where they're coming from. Yeah, those are excellent points. And on that topic of generating behavior change. We've been talking a little bit about that with around patients, but even as we think about the experiences that you've had with your teams, trying to get established organizations to do something different, what are some of those lessons learned that that I'm sure other listeners and healthcare executives that listen to this podcast are, are dying to hear where they've got a team pointed in the left direction and they need to go right? How do you kind of unpack that and get that change out of it? team or teams in an organization to pursue that new chapter of growth or that new that new opportunity in healthcare. Really when you think about a transformation, I think one thing that really starts to cause those to to unenergize a group 
is when they go on for so long. So I've had the experiences of being in transformation that have gone years where roles are even established. I've held roles that were really transformational type roles. And then I've also been blessed to be a part of transformations that were six months. We're going to get in, Mm -hmm. we're going to get out. And we're going to let business continue on for a bit. And I guess I can't emphasize enough that as I move forward and I look at any future transformations, we didn't need to really look at them as a trigger for an evolution. Mm. They are not linear beginning end Mm -hmm. and it's over. It's a trigger. It's a moment where you can come in, you can find that focus, find the purpose, get people aligned on the direction and changes you want to make, get those into the organizations and then step back a bit. Hmm. and let the organization absorb a bit of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think the other piece that I'm be- I think I'm beginning to see is this romancing the idea of transformation. And you read about it, and it almost sounds fun. And if you've ever been part of a transformation or multiple transformations, they are far from fun. They're ugly. You're questioning yourself halfway through. On the other side, it's fantastic. It's a huge accomplishment. But I'm seeing too many people giving me updates. We're in a transformation and getting a big smile on their face. I'm like, I don't think you are (laughs) because they hurt. (laughs) Yeah, no. If you're in a room with a bunch of people that have gone through a transformation and you're kicking it off, man, you can hear Mm -hmm. the energy leave the room the minute you say, and we're initiating a transformation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So no, I I think you're reiterating that point of it's get in, do the work and then get out and allow it to to percolate a bit and then iterate on it, really allow it a chance to breathe. So as you would enter a transformation, if you're thinking of the right team of leaders or the right attributes that you'd want from people in that first meeting, in that room, what's the right kind of people to have, you know, leading that effort? Or what's that right profile of the the various members of that team need to look like? I think for any team, a number one that I'm looking for is the energy. I need to find people that are energized by whatever purpose it is, whatever change or transformation that we're after. There has to be something in that interview or wherever it is that you're sussing out members for your team that they are actually engaged with the work itself. Mm -hmm. I think you're also looking for solution-oriented people, Mm -hmm. people that love a good problem or an opportunity and love to work with other people to cook up ideas Mm -hmm. and play with ideas. And there are people that perhaps have a lower ego, is that the right way to describe yeah. it? That don't get married to any particular idea that they are in it for the the generation and the design of ideas. And then maybe you do want to bring in somebody that actually really is the, now let's get this executed. Yep. Because I can't tell you how amazing it is to have someone that will balance out all those great ideas, designers, thinkers mm-hmm. with someone who also keeps us on tax yeah. that actually makes us move through and stick with where I said a clear timing, getting and get in, get out, that allows that to happen. Yeah, no, those are great points. And, and you mentioned earlier, like it's a little bit iterative, move and then kind of pop up, make sure that, that things are moving in the right direction. But in that first step, if you were to step into a new effort, what would mm-hmm. be kind of that 90 day plan or what kind of signals, what are those things that you're looking to observe early on in a transformation saying, I think we're, we're getting out on the right foot or we may have left in, in the wrong direction? In 90 days, I'd hope to get through three steps. Mm-hmm. Really, step one is that listen and learn. Mm-hmm. You got to figure out what is the problem and the opportunity 
that we're going after here. Mm -hmm. And there are probably numerous ones to choose from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And in my work around really around portfolios and looking at that, I have a mental frame of questions that I'm going after. And it starts with that purpose, Mm -hmm. talking to and engaging with the stakeholders at all levels and across the organization, maybe even outside an organization to really understand how are people describing the purpose and what good looks Mm -hmm. like. Is it the same? Is it different? Is it all over the place? Are we finding the, the root of the problem right there? And then I really want to understand to the people. Do people feel like we have the people we need to get to this vision? So let's say we have a, a clear purpose and an opportunity ahead of us, but maybe we did need different talent. Maybe there's challenges in the people connecting. Mm-hmm. Do you all have a clear understanding of even the work that's happening? Are people siloed? Are they only seeing a little bit of it? Or are you able to see the whole of the picture of all of the you know development studies or activities that are that are happening, how is decision making happening? Is it clear who the decision makers are? Mm-hmm. Are there many of them? Mm-hmm. Is there just one? Is there a bottleneck? Mm-hmm. How is that happening? And then finally, too, how are you executing on whatever it is that your purpose is and what you're trying to deliver? But it's that whole circle with the purpose in the middle to really understand the people, the decision making what you have to make decisions on and actually executing, if you explore all of those in your first step, you're going to really surface the opportunities and the problems that you could go after in this transformation. And then I'd I'd move immediately into, okay, well, now set up your plan. What are you going to go after and what are you not going to go after? You're not going to solve everything in this transformation. So make it really clear. What are your areas of focus? Mm -hmm. Set some timelines, get some resources together and get clear on the accountabilities. You know, who is your taskmaster? Who's your designers? Who are, who are going to actually make decisions even on the transformation? So get organized. You've mentioned the importance of purpose a number of times and would love to yeah. get your take on what makes a good purpose, a good purpose statement. Because I know what good ones don't look like and it's not be number one in radiation oncology. It's not disrupt the category. It's not kind of this competition, altruistic type of place, but there always needs to be some degree of tangibility so that it's driving some sort of alignment. And to your point, you people know what's in and what's out. But in your opinion, what do you think makes for a good purpose or an example of, of one that you may have overlapped with in your past? Well, I'm going to say for what makes a good purpose for me is it's going to be more outcome oriented. What do you want the future to look like? And get to your point as specific you want a faster, more engaged organization, or you want a development portfolio that is got a higher probability of bringing new medicines to patients. Mm-hmm. Those are looking at outcomes, but not defining specifically how you're going to get to that outcome. Yep. I think that's it's a delicate balance of not being too high level, right. too visionary, so that it's not tangible but too specific and tactical that you're actually, there is no design, no no openness to the path that you get there because you've made it so specific that there's really only one path to get there. Yep. So you're looking for that shared purpose at that kind of a level. That's great. The last question, just kind of closing thoughts, either looking back in your career or thinking about the other healthcare executives listening to this now, what advice would you give to them if they're seeing an, uh, overseeing a transformation effort? A number one, as a leader of a transformation, you must be engaged and you must be committed. It is a transformation in a future that does mean something to you. I always seem to be beating on that mm-hmm. one, but it's also something where you're not just a sponsor, mm-hmm. you're the 
figurehead of this thing that hundreds of people are working through. No, you're actually rolling up your sleeves. Mm -hmm. You're engaging across the work groups. You're actually investing your time in really understanding what's happening and what's being designed and providing your advice, guidance, whatever it may be to get things done. That to me is truly an engaged leader and committed. Don't expect folks to just in their free time mm-hmm. and they do their day job and then in you know their extra five, 10%, they're going to contribute to this transformational effort. No, commit, commit maybe external resources, but definitely for those that are working within as a leader, be the one that says, no, they're going to be able to commit 80, 90% of their time to this transformation stint. And can I actually add in and sneak in another one too, which is just more maybe general advice. Listen as if you're wrong. Mm. So yes, be that engaged, committed leader, but also don't go in there with a solution already in your mind. For me, the example, there's examples I could offer and so on. But for me, it's this, I know myself and other executives, you got into those senior level roles because you were probably somebody who saw a problem, saw an opportunity, and you were the one that people saw jumped on it. And you could see a path forward. Maybe you even knew that there's many ways forward, but I know this is a way forward. Let's rally. And you were able to get people to follow you and actually deliver on whatever you know solution you came up with. That's fantastic. I, I love that so much, Michelle. I love it. <laughs> Kudos to my friend, Scott. He told me that one a long time ago. Listen as if you're wrong. And anytime I hear that, I'm trying to find all the reasons why what somebody's telling me is wrong. Mm-hmm. I, le- I, I think of Scott, I lean back and I actually try to get more curious and really learn something. And believe me, I have examples of where that's really paid mm-hmm. off for me. That's terrific. Michelle, this has been a truly an enjoyable conversation. Thank you so much for making the time and, and sharing your story. Absolutely. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening to Profit's Healthcare Transformers podcast. This podcast is produced by Jared Johnson and his wonderful team at Shift Forward Health. And a big thank you to our hosts, Priya Anasia, Paul Shrimp, and Jeff Gorgie. If you liked today's episode, you can find more great content like this at profit.com slash thinking. I'm Anna Kuno, the senior editor of this podcast. Thank you for listening.